0: Our Savior, our Lord, and our life.
1: Oh, dear ones, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, I'm John Russell. I serve as the host, and I'm here with my partner in crime, my favorite short time pastor,
2: <laughs> Frank
1: Friedman. Man, how are you doing?
2: Uh, short time or short in stature? Kind of. Yeah, both, yeah, I guess. Sh-
1: yeah, short time. The time's coming soon. But uh, I will direct our listeners, hey, check out Grace Life Fellowship sometime during the fall. I don't know when this is going to air, but Pastor Frank is going to be doing a series on the book of Revelation. He's been waiting his entire career to do it. And of course, it's the last thing he's going to do. So I don't don't know what that says, but please make a note and check that out. I haven't heard any of the content, but I trust it'll
2: be a blessing. That's being safe. If you mess up Revelation, then you retire. Nobody's coming after you. So that's true.
1: Well, friends, if uh, this is your first time on the podcast, you've caught Frank and me right in the middle of our conversation, our running conversation on Paul's epistle to the Colossians, which arguably is the best for highlighting the sufficiency, the preeminency of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And last time we were talking about Colossians chapter two. And let me take just a minute, Frank, to review a bit about where we've been. This section of chapter two begins with Paul addressing or beginning to address some of the struggles the Colossian church was facing. Now, we got to remember, Frank, that all these churches who got letters from Paul, they were very young churches. Of course, all the churches were young back then. And so as we see how Paul approaches these young believers whom he's never met, It's going to be cool to see how he does this, how he works to shepherd these people. Uh, And we'll see as we go through the next couple of episodes that he spends a lot of time communicating the spiritual ABCs to ground them in Jesus Christ. Because you and I both know after 40 years of pinball approach to uh, walking in the spirit, where we make lots of mistakes, uh, it's important to get this right. Otherwise, we're going to bounce around everywhere. Isn't that the case?
2: That's exactly right. You know, John, in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, the church is built on the foundation of the teaching of the apostles. And every single apostle taught that Jesus Christ was the foundation and the foundation alone of our faith. And the key is you can't build a house without a foundation. So no matter what we add to the house, we really have to get the foundation right, or the rest of the house is going to be a mess. And so it's all about Jesus. And that's what this Colossians book is all about, is that Jesus is everything. And so it's wonderful to be going through this book with you and be able to present it to people out there to learn that Jesus is enough.
1: You know, Frank, you mentioned foundation, and my mind goes back to exactly how Paul began to build on the foundation of Jesus. And while he knew about some of their needs, if you recall back in chapter one, he prayed for them some pretty deep, fundamental, foundational prayers, building on the foundation of Jesus. He prayed they'd be filled with the knowledge of his will, that they'd have spiritual wisdom and understanding that they'd walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they'd bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God. My goodness, Frank, if someone prayed for me this way, I would be so encouraged, so empowered. It would make me want to stand up and live up to their prayers for me. But often we don't pray that way. Our prayers are kind of like a checklist of of needs that Mm. miss the deeper issues.
2: Yeah, and the deeper issue is, What is the meaning of life? And where do you find life? And there's only one place to find life, and that's in the life giver. That's Christ. And so, you know, it's interesting, John, people tend to say we we teach simplistically. We teach the same message every week from a different passage. and, And we would say yes, because the most profound thing a man, a woman can ever know is the simplicity of what Jesus is all about. And that is that he brings God to us, inside of us, so we can experience God and express God to others. And so, yeah, very simple, and yet we'll take eternity to contemplate and never fully arrive at the depth of who he is and all that he longs to do for us and in us and through us. Amazing.
1: I agree. So, my friend, we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 5 today. Paul writes this, again, speaking to the Colossians from a prison. He's in prison there back in Colossae. He says, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So I want to dive in, Frank, with that first phrase, absent in body, but with you in spirit. If you spend any time in the world, especially looking at advertising, the mantra is, out of sight, out of mind. You know, you and I have spent decades in South Louisiana, the home of the personal injury lawyer. <laughs> and so those lawyers got their faces plastered everywhere so that heaven forbid you get in an accident and need a lawyer, you won't forget them because they don't ever want to be out of your sight. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He says, yeah, I'm not with you, but man, I am with you in sp- Spirit. Mm. And when I think about that, my friend, I think about Jonathan and David and how they were knit together. In fact, Samuel writes this way, they were knit together soul to soul. And so mm. I looked up that word knit as I'm learning to do. And uh, guess what? It means to be bound together so tightly that you can't separate them. So this is what Paul felt for these Colossians, having never met them, but having heard their circumstance and taken their needs to Father. And this is what the Holy Spirit built in him. He was knit to them, even though they might not even know much about who he was. Wow. This kinship that the Spirit can build in the body of Christ is absolutely stunning, Frank, isn't it?
2: Yes, John. The way Paul put it in Ephesians is so incredible. He said he took of the two, which is basically two kinds of people, Jews and non-Jews, and he made them one. He said in Galatians 3 that we are so one that all the external differences that separate us and make us distinct don't play a part anymore. You know, in Galatians 3, he said there's Jew and Greek and slave and free and male and female. And he said, it doesn't matter anymore. There's a greater issue, and that is our oneness, our unity, because we've all come to God the same way, which is by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. It removes all distinction. It removes all division. In Ephesians, he went on to say, there's only one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are all a part of that one body. And so there is, the moment we place our faith in Christ, an essential unity. Not that we are to acquire, it's already ours. But it is a unity we are to preserve because it is so special. The moment you put your faith in Christ, John, the moment I put my faith in Christ, there was an instant bond established, a unity between us, the same spirit, the same savior, the same life. And we are to have the same mind about who we both are. In our faith journey. And that's why Paul, even though he's never met them, says, Here I am in prison, never met you, but I'm one with you. I'm one spirit with you. And so here I am in a prison where I could be having a pity party, but my greatest thought is, How are you people doing? And I'm going to try to help you in your doing. It's amazing. It's amazing indeed. And you
1: know, Frank, listening to you talk about the oneness that's instantly ours. While that's true on a spiritual level, which of course is the real level in practicality, that unity is something that we've got to cultivate in order to enjoy the experience of it. I don't know how many times over the years as an elder in church, I heard believers tell me I'm lonely. Mm-hmm. Look around me. I see everybody else has friends, people laughing and backslapping and going out to lunch. You know, everybody has friends, but me. And so There's a responsibility not only to guard the unity, because Paul tells us to do that, but we need to cultivate that so that we can experience it. It's kind of like being given a treasure chest, but we have to lift up the lid and rummage around in there and see how that unity impacts us in relation to other people. So there's a personal relationship dynamic that goes hand in hand with this, because if we don't pursue that, then the unity won't seem very real to us. And so I think that's why you and I spent so much time several series ago talking about the one another's, how the life of Christ should work out in the body of Christ. You know, love, forgive, esteem, restore, accept. All these things are personal dynamic aspects of what that unity is supposed to look like. So it really is more than just sit there and contemplate my navel and be thankful I'm one with you. I've got to walk that walk with you to make that oneness tangible in my
2: own life. Exactly right, John. In the very book of beginnings, he said, kind reproduces kind. Life begets life. And so we can teach this message of Christ as our life, the new covenant, and it can be intellectually taught, but I believe it's experientially caught. It's made real. When we talk of God's love, it's experienced when I love you, and when you love me, it becomes tangible through the Christ that is in us. And I think that's why the writer of Hebrews said, dare not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That doesn't mean you have to go to church every Sunday, although, you know, it's a good thing it's to a, do. It's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's deeper than that. It's spend time with each other so that you build relationship. So this life that is within each of us flows through us to each other, and Jesus becomes real by the power of the Holy Spirit expressed by all of us to each other. And John, boy, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't address a phenomenon that's going on right now. Isolation was forced upon us in the last couple of years with this COVID epidemic. In fact, at Grace Life, we started having church in the living room and we broadcast a Sunday morning service into homes. Unfortunately, now the COVID has been lifted, the restrictions of it, but a lot of people are still having, and they tell me, church at home. You can't really have church at home because there's no interaction of believers, life begetting life. There's teaching, and you can sing the songs, but we can't Accomplish the life begetting life. And we've got to get back to being together.
1: Oh, I would agree. And this heart that you just described is what's resonating, I see, in Paul as he's writing this letter to these folks. He's prayed for them, and the Spirit, I think, has given Paul some insight into what's really happening in their lives because Paul writes there in verse five, he rejoices to see their good order. Mm. And the firmness of their faith. You know, Paul got his report from Epaphras about their challenges and their needs. And Paul responds, hey, man, I see what's happening. But the first thing I want to do is I want to tell you, man, I rejoice when I look at you and Mm. I see what you're doing and how you're prospering, that you're doing things so well, you're firm in your faith. Frank, when's the last time, we were ever encouraged to rejoice, not just smile and be happy, but rejoice at somebody else's good works. My goodness. And what a heart for Paul. He's not just happy. He is rejoicing by what he hears from them.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's encouragement. You know, we live in a world of such negative thought. I mean, all you got to do is turn on the news and you'll be depressed. And. We have to look not just at the things that are physically, but the kingdom that is being unleashed in the lives of people. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, and he's expressing that in and through people right now, and lives are being transformed, and we have plenty of opportunity to rejoice if we would just have eyes to see how lives are being transformed. Established, and people are walking in light and victory, and there's great cause for rejoicing and praising God if he would just have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And Paul has that.
1: Yeah, you know, Frank, I'm listening to to you and reading these verses, these verses again, and uh, my chancellor brain kicks on, and I think in terms of times some staff members or faculty have come into my office to talk about something. And there were some problems. And so I'll just use this as an example. There might've been 20 things they were doing really well, but there might've been one or two things that they weren't doing quite as well. So the common approach is to invite them in and say, okay, let's see how you're failing in these two areas. But that's not what Paul does. He says, hey, I know we got some things to talk about and I got some things to tell you, but before I do, I want to tell you all the things you are doing so well. Frank, when I took that approach, when Father convicted me and I started taking that approach, it made a 180 degree difference in how those Mm -hmm. conversations went. They were fruitful, they were productive, they were positive. We left smiling and encouraging instead of having these folks tuck their tail between their legs because I had an issue with them. You know, there's, there's an important lesson for all of us here, Frank, and how we deal with areas in others' lives that don't quite uh, do what we think they should.
2: Hmm. The power of a spoken word that's encouraging, John. Proverbs is filled with that. And probably the key verse in all of Proverbs is Proverbs eighteen twenty one, where it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we have an opportunity every time we open our mouth to either focus on what's wrong and speak the negative and bring death, or we can recognize life, recognize truth, recognize how people are growing and speak that into them and speak life to them. And that's basically what you made the shift to do. And John, I hope that our listeners are hearing this because the power of the spoken word is Amazing, and we live in a world that is so full of negative. We're being beat down at every level. There's an enemy who accuses and slanders, and there's there's a spirit of meanness and an unkindness in our world. And and then we beat up ourselves with our own failures. And there's such a need to speak life instead of death. If I could, John, I want to share. I read a book probably 30 years ago. I don't even remember the name of the book, but I do remember what was taught. They had done a survey of these kids in kindergarten and how many of them had a positive self-image. And it was something like 95% of these little kindergarten kids had a positive self-image. Some 12 years later, when these kids were seniors, They went to that same class, took the same test, and something like 15, 18% of them had positive self-images. And they said, oh my goodness, what's happening? And of course, it all can't be blamed on the school system. There are a lot of other contributors, the home life, everything else, but they did go back into the classroom. And one of the things this study found out Is that for every positive comment a kid was hearing in the classroom, they were hearing 14 negatives. That's huge. Sociologists have told us that for every negative comment, we need to have 10 to counteract it. So on a Sunday, if you come up to me and say, Frank, that was a terrible sermon, (laughs) I got to go find 10 people who can, you know, at least cancel that out. Well, these poor kids are here in 14 to 1. You do the math, it's 140 to 1. So it's no wonder they had negative self-images. John, that was an amazing study, extra biblical, but it sure gives us some insight into the great need that every one of us has to be encouraged. Indeed, it does. And so jumping back into our passage,
1: looking at verse six, verses six and seven, Paul now builds on his prayers and his encouragement for the Colossians. And he starts to give them, Frank, some practical guidance on how they are to maintain their love and their steadfastness in the faith, their firmness, their good order. And he begins here in verse six with really a pretty long section. We won't get through all of this probably today or maybe even the next episode. But this long section where he really begins to teach them on what I call, in my own mind, uh, the ABCs of a fruitful Christian life. That is, who they are in Christ, and because of that, how they should walk in the world and then the third one is the C, how to guard against the enemy's lies. And you know, Frank, when you think about it, if you got all those three down, your focus is on Jesus, you're walking led by him, you're saying no to the enemy, you know, that's a pretty good place to be. And that's where Paul puts his whole focus. It's almost like if he never sees them again or never writes them again, we don't know if he ever did, he might have, but scripture is silent. He wants to make sure that he teaches them these ABCs, because once you got these right, everything else can fall into place.
2: Isn't that so? Well, John, you've really given all of our listeners and reminders to us as well of what Christianity is all about. And that was Colossians 1. You have been rooted and grounded in Christ. Why do we need to be rooted and grounded in Christ? Because he's the exalted God of the universe who's restored us to himself. And as we read in chapter 1, Jesus has the fullness of God. And now Colossians 1 ended with he's now in you. So there's really one call upon our lives. And that's to walk in him with faith in him. I love the way verse 6 says it. As you receive Jesus, which was by grace through faith, walk out the rest of your life the same way, by faith in Jesus. And be grounded in him, rooted in him. Don't get, verse 8, distracted from him. Because he's got the fullness, and if you go anywhere other than him, you're not going to have fullness, you're going to be empty. So it's a very simple agenda not necessarily an easy one, because there are so much out there, so many other things out there that can compete for the devotion of our heart and mind, other than Christ.
1: That's right. And and Paul does not invest his time, Frank, to explain to the Colossians all the distractions and all the empty philosophies and vain teachings they could possibly encounter and then give them the 10 reasons why they shouldn't follow them. He doesn't approach that at all. My friend, he just simply describes Christ Mm. because when you know Christ, you know, what straight looks like. Mm. And when you know what straight looks like, you can spot crooked, really easy. There's a million ways to be crooked, but there's only one way to be straight. And that's where Paul focuses. That's what he's telling the Colossians, focus on Jesus and mm. your identity in him. And uh, you know, you'll know, you be able to detect what's wrong and you'll be able to walk in a way that glorifies God and lets his life flow through them.
2: It's really pretty simple when you think about it. Mm. You know, John, maybe we could say it this way. When we look at life, all the ins and outs, ups and downs, do's and don'ts, uh, rights and wrongs. We could be overwhelmed at the complexity of the world we live in. But God in Christ has really made it simple. Put your faith in him. That's it. Walk with faith in him. That's it. In fact, Paul, you remember in Corinthians said, be careful, don't ever lose the simplicity of Christ. And There's a lot of people out there, John, that want to make this thing complex. And usually they have degrees and they speak really well. And they speak very knowledgeably and powerfully. And it'd be very easy to get seduced away from Christ. And we cannot do that because if I can put it this way, uh, hopefully this will resonate with our listeners. Jesus has made God easy. And I don't mean by that, that, you know, it's flippant or super casual, but finding God and walking with God and pleasing God has been made easy. You're going to do all those things. If you put your faith in Christ and walk with faith in him, that's a really good word. Indeed it is. But you know, Frank, the enemy is
1: really good at, saying things like this to us. Well, sure. It was easy to trust Christ. All you do is say, I believe, mm. but you know, now, you know, now you're married and you've got a couple of kids, you got, you're struggling with your wife. You don't like your job. You've got financial problems. And you know, Jesus, I believe doesn't quite cut it. At least mm. that's what the enemy says. But what Paul is saying here is that, yeah, that same simplicity, That same faith and trust you had when you first said yes, sir, to him, I believe that's the very same thing that will get you through Mm -hmm. the struggles with your kids, the issues with your wife, the problems with your job, your money constraints, all these. The answer is the same. It's always Jesus. What's that story, Frank, you told us, told me years ago about teaching in the Sunday school class and you asked the question and the, the, obviously the answer was the Easter Bunny, but somebody said, well, it looks like the Easter Bunny, but the answer is Jesus, I know, because the answer is always Jesus. I forget exactly the story, but the point is simple, that yes, the answer is
2: always Jesus. And with that, my friend, I'm going to let you wrap us up. I would maybe do that by trying to encapsulate what we talked about today. You started off, and this passage started off by talking about rejoicing in what we see happening in others, um, what the Holy Spirit is doing in them. And then the reminder that we need to all walk in him. That's the only way to have fullness. That's the only way to experience God and the only way to really experience a sense of community within the body of Christ. Well, the way we're gonna do that, Second Corinthians 5, is don't look at anybody after the flesh anymore. Uh, the moment we look at somebody after the flesh, we can say, oh, look at that person. They're arrogant. They're prideful. They're lazy. They're a gossip. They're a slanderer. You know, things that Christians do.
1: Unfortunately,
2: uh, yes. <laughs> but we need to look at them the way Christ looks at them. And I think I would, what I would do is to encapsulate this is just share a story. And you'll probably remember this. I was in my first church, and there was a guy, very overweight, had a huge settlement from a work injury, never had to work a day in his life, was in a bit of pain because of the work injury. And he just became a lazy kind of a sloth. And he was kind of arrogant. And it was because he was, you know, hurting. He didn't feel good about himself. And one day this guy walks in my office and he says, I think I'm going to go to seminary. And when you look at the guy, A lot of different things could pop out of your mouth, and a lot of things could have popped out of my mouth that day. But the Holy Spirit basically unleashed me, and this is what I said to him. Well, let's look at some catalogs and see where you might want to go. Well, John, over the next six months, he lost weight. He started wearing a tie to church. He became an usher, and it was just amazing. And his wife came up to him and said, whatever you're doing to my husband, keep on doing it. Well, I hadn't met with him since. But shortly after that, he came into my office and I found out what was going on. He walked in and he said, you know, six months ago, plus I told you I was going to go to seminary. And he said, Pastor Frank, I said that to other pastors, several other pastors, but every one of them laughed at me when I said it. You were the first one that took me seriously. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, thank you, Holy Spirit, for clamping my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned a very valuable lesson that day about encouraging people. And I don't know if he ever went to seminary. I don't know where he is, what he's doing with his life. But amongst all the negativity that man was hearing, amidst all the negative he was putting on himself, one little word of encouragement that saw him according to who he was in Christ, spoke that encouraging word, challenged him to again walk by faith the same way he had received Christ by faith, and a transformation took place. Huge. Christ became more real to him through the fellowship of the spoken word of love within the body of Christ. It's a great illustration of Cool, I think what this passage is teaching us, you Indeed, know. Indeed, I I agree. Thank you,
1: sir. Well, friends, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Uh, Frank and I have been discussing our way through the Epistle to the Colossians, and please, if Father has really reached out and touched you today, spoken to your heart, Uh, please do us a solid. Visit our website. You'll find this at ourresolutehope.com, and you'll find lots of other resources there that can help you on your Christian walk, and every single one of them is centered on the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as our life. While you're there, please pop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, look on all our social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, our own little YouTube channel. So subscribe to that, hit the bell, and you'll know when all the newest things come up. And of course, if Father has ministered to you today, we ask you to prayerfully consider supporting us. Uh, First, with your prayers. That's what we covet most, uh, because we don't do anything unless Father uh, moves in our hearts to lead us on a clear path. But we pray also that you would consider supporting us financially. You know, Frank and I and the others in the ministry, we trust Father will provide everything we need, but he might want to do it through you. So please make that a matter of prayer. And as always, we close, Frank, with this very same reminder that we do every single week from Hebrews chapter six, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. We call it a resolute hope, a steadfast, immovable, never shifting kind of hope and our hope is jesus so today and always choose hope and choose jesus
0: thanks for listening we trust that you've seen jesus today and you know that no matter what you're facing he offers you himself his own life he wants to live his life with you in you and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world you've been listening to our resolute hope podcast For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.